My goodness, there's so many birds in here. Is this the show? <coughs> What's that? A duck. <laughs> Intro. Two chefs remain. <laughs> Merlin, I uh, I think I my, I was in a fugue state when I watched this. I don't remember almost anything about this episode. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to do all the work. I watched this episode three times and I still can't remember any of it. Really? Okay. All right. Well, I feel a little better. Okay. <clears throat> I'll I'll um I'll I'll bumble my way through it as per our per usual. But uh, if you watched, if you took, no, I don't remember anything about it. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to help me out here. You're gonna have a problem then. I know. Um, I have some mostly notes about little things I noticed. I know there were dates involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that guy with the beard that I like that was on. I got that going on. That's a good one. What's that called? What do you call that? Uh, cake. Cake. Huh. Huh. Um. <laughs> Get it out of your system. Let's hear him. Uh, what else? Surprise me. Surprise me. Oh, man. Mm. I can't imagine what it's like to get receipts from you at the end of the month. Uh, I don't uh, turn those in. <laughs> those are just for you. That's just for, I mean, who would they go to? Mr. Timken, I got a couple questions about a, a duck call and some kind of a, a Latin American jazz instrument. Is that something you need to make your dirty cards? <laughs> <laughs> Well, every time I watch this show, and I watch it, like, when it comes out, I watch it again with my daughter, and then I watch it a third time. Either, like, usually my wife will watch it, or, like, I'll try and sit there and take notes. And for some reason, I end up getting distracted. I make a Lego or something, and uh, I get distracted. So, uh, yeah, I think I know. I know a little bit uh, about this one. This is the big gay wedding. Yeah. You know what the thing is with Top, with Top Chef? I think the way that it's the whole production of it and the way that it's edited it's designed to like it lull, it lulls you into this, you know, just sit there in front of the TV and sort of exist for an hour. And that's not really compatible. It's not like Breaking Bad where like it's like a flashbulb memory where like every scene, you know, sticks in your memory. It's like it kind of the way it it just sort of turns into a paste when it's done because it's sort of edited to have that like moment to moment consistency. Well, yeah, and like any reality show, it's edited within an inch of its life to constantly prod you with a fondue fork to like, notice this, notice this, notice this, you know, telegraphing stuff that's going to happen. Um, we Before you uh, hopped onto the call, I was talking to our friend Alex about this. Uh, sounds like she wasn't as into it as I am. I thought this was a very good episode, and I thought this was maybe the best Last Chance Kitchen ever. It was a, the Last Chance Kitchen was, was a delight. I wish the show was always that entertaining. Uh, I, I think the, um, the quick fire, one of the worst quick fires in the history of Top Chef. Did anybody take a second pass at that idea? It, like, it ranged from, well, I guess we're just, we, should we just start with the quick fire? I guess so, yeah. Do we have yeah. other things we want to talk I'm, about? I'm just, it's been I'm, a while, Merlin. of the, like, the big, the big announcement, Apple's big announcement, I guess, at the end of the summer, and was when they announced, whenever they announced Apple Music, and, like, there was this weird feeling, like, a bunch of us had been like, oh, they're going to announce, like, you know, over-the-top cable, like, on your Apple TV or something, and, and like, I remember sitting there and thinking, like, it really feels like they had something else to announce here, and they fell back on Apple Music, borne out by how horrible the entire product has been, <laughs> but in this case, I mean, really, the, the, the quick-fire challenge is dates, you're on a date farm? That's that's the challenge. Can we talk about Apple Music before now before we talk about the dates? It's your show. Okay. Well, it's your I mean it's your program. Mm -hmm. Uh okay, so I was an RDO. I was on RDO. A few years ago, 
when iTunes started to get really complicated and hard to use, I was like, I, that's it. I like using RDO better. I understand the interface. I'm all, I'm going all in on RDO. Mm -hmm. And boy, was that wrong. Cause now I don't have a way to, you know, all my music is gone. RDO shut down. So then I was like, I guess I'm going to go, I, I can't stand Spotify. I don't, I, it, Spotify is, is the it's worst. Ugly. It's very ugly and there's ads and I just, I'm just not into it. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going back to Apple music, sign up for Apple music. And I really, I mean, I really, I like, I don't have, uh, I don't feel like a, like just like an old man a lot with technology and especially with Apple technology. Like I usually, I usually, you know, I, I understand how that stuff fits together and how it works and how to accomplish what I want with it. And I can't, I just can't figure out how to use Apple music. Like it's so fucking confusing. There's if I, so if I want to hear a song, there's three tabs. There's my library, which, okay, I understand that. That's sort of like a spreadsheet of all my music. But then there's another tab I can click on, which says iTunes. And that takes me to a place where I can pay 99 cents to get the song that I want. Or there's another tab that says for you, where I can click on there to stream any song in the world that I want for free. But then when I stream that, it's still not in my library unless I click some icons that I'm not, but I don't know which one. There's a plus and a heart, and one of them puts it in my library, and the other one doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, I just put a link in notes to the movie Gaslight. You're familiar with the idea of gaslighting? <laughs> and gas, gaslighting is, it has become a, a you know, term you use to describe when you deliberately screw with somebody's perceptions in order to make them doubt themselves and feel like they're crazy. In this case, this gaslight that seems to kind of go on and off. But I feel like I feel very gaslit with with Apple Music because I feel like I'm pretty sure I was able to do this one other time. And now I don't remember if I can do this. And if I did do it, I've looked everywhere I can. There's like 195 different pieces of UI to do these different things. And then you get it has that problem. It has that like digital watch problem, like that 1970s digital watch problem where, you know, you have to buy practicality you have to have buttons that do more than one thing mm -hmm. and like you get different sets of ui when you're in different areas oh you're in playlist mode i see so in this mode dragging a, a track and clicking that button does one thing but when you're in listen mode it's totally different i assume i can't remember i've been gaslit but here, here's what happens to me is i open up <laughs> itunes on my macintosh computer and i go in there and i'm going to go search for david bowie right you go up to the field and you do a search and for me there's two there's two tabs there one of the tabs is something like my music and then there's another tab. At least eight out of ten times uh, when I go there and start typing it in, I get my music and I get iTunes Store. Have you ever seen this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so why iTunes Store? Well, if I go and I click on like anything related to Apple Music streaming stuff, that tab changes from iTunes Store to Apple Music. But like so many times I go in and do a search to just go stream something and it ends up asking me if I want to buy something. There's things like that. There's all kinds of things like. Oh, well, what you know, about. Yeah. You're saying like when you go into the search bar and you type something and then it's sort of random as to which of the three places you can listen to it comes up. There's only generally I think there's only two tabs. There's my music. Well, you like I forget what it's called. I'm not going to open it now. But there's something <laughs> like my music and then there's like either iTunes store or Apple music. Anyway, the, the, the point is that like, yeah, I am an old man and uh, I find I find the iTunes interface on the Mac confusing. I find the Apple Music interface on the phone and iPad confusing, and I find the interface on Apple TV very confusing. And it's, you know, it, what's funny is, like, it, it's almost like if you came up with this one app called Apple Music that was basically a, a, a tricked-out port of Beats, I would be totally happy. I would be fine to just go into this one app where I go and stream music. Maybe I'll change my mind on that, but, like, it's, it's desperately confusing to me. Like, which tracks... I've bought are available where? Because I've got iTunes Match. I'm not sure if I have iCloud Music on. 
I know that on one iPad, on all my iPads, most stuff works except for one iPad where I don't get any of my playlists of my own music. I've signed in and out. I've done the whole rain dance. I've done all of that. And I, I don't know. I just get the feeling that this is so boring. I'm so sorry. Behind the scenes, I think there's a lot of buckets interacting with each other. Look no further than the need to constantly log back in to iCloud all the time. Like, why is that happening? Oh, I, I think there's something that's minimally triggering something to go no when it should probably go probably or yes. Uh, and that's do you get that when you is. when you configure a new iOS device? Sometimes you have to put your iCloud password in upwards of six or seven times. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And the thing is, I have different ones. I have one for media. I have one for all my personal stuff. And then I have this thing that I've been bitching about lately. I'm not the only one, apparently. Every morning I wake up and look at my phone and I have to log back into iCloud. Oh, wow. So, and then you say, like, oh, everybody says, oh, you know, you fix that by logging out and logging back in. But, like, go click on the button for log out and see the hairy warning you get <laughs> about, like, all your photos are going to go away. All your cards are going to go away from Apple Pay. Anyway, I'm not sure what this has to do with uh, with Top Scallops, but it's, it, is, it, is, it is harrowing because, you know, it's, it should be fun, but it should also be dependable. You know, mm. and like I, the, my concern all along with iCloud has been that I don't know where my stuff is. Like I know where it can be, but it isn't like I can go to one place and go, oh, here's that MP3 of that. I don't have that sense of confidence anymore. And that, that drives me a little bit crazy. Like, okay, for right, okay, right now. Uh, when I was at home, I thought, oh, I'll do that thing that some smart podcasters do. I will download um, the latest Top Chef to my iPad so that I can scrub through that while I'm talking to you on the show without using my computer. And now I get a, uh, I did that. Everything's fine. It looks great. And on this otherwise fine iPad Pro, it says cannot open. This content is not authorized. Mm -hmm. Just that's it? Well, yeah, it's in, it's in a pop-up. So, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I guess I won't watch it. Derp, 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 derp. Are we going to cut all this out? I, th I think this is what people listen for. Yes. Our, uh, a lot of our hot takes on the day's uh, technology issues. I got a food saver. Oh, you did? I got to suck the air out of the bag thing. Okay. And now I'm sucking all the things. It's amazing. What have you, what have you, Tom, Tom, have you, have you sous vide anything? Oh, the, hell yeah. What have you done? Well, you know, Andy Notko, you to an extent, but I think especially Andy has been my John the Baptist for this, where I've learned so much about the whole idea of sous vide from, I've been inspired by stuff Andy's made and you have really like filled in a lot of the, the colors and details for me, but um, I've been fine with using the Ziploc bags, but then Andy dropped some science a couple of weeks back that I, I just blew my mind. The idea that you can bring stuff home from the grocery and sensibly vacuum pack it and freeze it. And then you don't have to thaw it separately. We talked about this a little bit. You don't have to thaw it separately from doing the sous vide. You just basically add a half hour to most things. And you can cook it at whatever temperature you're going to cook it. Yeah, Merlin, I think I think this may be I think there might be a business opportunity in here for us because you know in mm -hmm. um, especially in San Francisco, you know how there's these sort of grocery as a service startups. There's a variety of options <laughs> of way that you ways that you can get food brought to your house. He's saying we do suck my food. Suck <laughs> suckmyfood.com. So it's 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 sucking as a service. It's sucking as a service. That's exactly where I was going. So it basically now we're not just going to bring you. We're not just are we going to go to the um uh the artisanal butcher to get uh, the cuts of meat? No, we're going to suck them. No, I mean, well, obviously, I mean, I've watched a lot of Shark Tank. It's pre-suck. It could be a variety of things. I think we have a tiered service. We could roll it out, you know, probably in Whole Foods. Or I don't know. But the point would be that we, you, depending on what you need, the basic service and maybe the try-on service is we just come out and suck your meat. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever meat you've got there, 
Whatever you, you got there, we come out and suck it for you. <laughs> and then you can decide what you want to do next. Are you ready to sign up? You ready? You ready to get into the? You get into the? You get into the into the silver program. And the silver program is we just come out and suck your meat once in a while when we feel like it, right? You get to the gold. <laughs> the gold level is we help you decide what kind of meat we should suck. Uh, and then the platinum level is we actually bring our own meat and we suck it together. <laughs> uh, it, this is, I guess this, I, I honestly feel like this, it would not surprise me if, if in San Francisco in the next, uh, in the future, this was some sort of oh, service. I have, I have an anecdote, but just to finish this one thought. Yes. So I bought, I bought the, it was like 70 bucks. It was less than I thought. It's not as big as I thought. So I think it's called Food Saver. Is that what it's called? You don't, you don't have one, right? No, but I, I don't like, um. You know the Alton Brown, uh, the the things in the kitchen that only do one thing. Yeah, but and so I was resistant for, and also I, you know, I just suck the thing out of a freezer bag, freezer bag with my lips, and it's fine most right. of the time. Uh, I don't mind, I don't mind sucking the meat. But well, uh, I, this is this is orthogonally related to Top Chef. Let's keep this in. So here's yeah. what we did. I ordered that. I ordered a big, uh, like a box of uh, gallon size bags. And it, it comes with a roll, but I got an extra roll. And so mm -hmm. that's just a big roll where you seal it off and do it as necessary. And so for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about here, when you sous vide things, normally, I think Max and I have done the immersion method, which is where you put whatever you're cooking in a bag and you slowly put it into the water and then it pushes out the air. You close it with a decent Ziploc bag. And that, that has worked great for me. No problem whatsoever. What this does that's amazing, well, first of all, what they don't tell you, what these, what these fat cats don't want you to know, is you can seal anything. My daughter and I sealed a nail clipper. Uh, we sealed a box of matches. Mm -hmm. We sealed some. Uh, well, Star that's Wars good. Figs. I mean, that locks in the freshness. That's right. You can eat those matches anytime. Mm -hmm. uh, but here's the beauty part. So you. So in this case, I got some ribeyes, I got some pork chops, and I got some ground beef. Are you telling me you had this thing and you were suctioning things and you didn't put a little Han Solo figure in there? Oh God, what's wrong with me? I mean, no that's no low-hanging fruit, Merlin. No spoilers. Uh, Thirty million dollars. Um, but we. Um, so, uh, so what I did was though it's great because you can. I, I don't season too much before the sous vide. I, I don't. I'm not sure how much point there is. I think adding aromatics and herbs is smart. I'm a big lover of thyme mm -hmm. when it comes to things like like beef and chicken and pork, or you know rosemary in the case of pork. But the beauty part is you get this. You uh, you seal it up inside this thing, and it really it seals it good. It's like it came from the store. It really really works. Now you can throw that in the freezer. You're good to go. Now I've been dying to make hamburgers because I keep hearing about how great hamburgers are perfect for hamburgers because you make your patties the way you want you put them into the bag dingus it sucks the air out and it squeezes it into guess what turns out the shape of a hamburger so you sous vide those suckers and then you toss them on oh i also bought it finally bought a cast iron pan and then you toss that into the pan to, to sear it and it's perfect you don't get those weird crumbly burgers like your your horrible family maker hmm. um, members make hmm. so i don't gotta, know if gotta i try the burger it. that's that's very exciting Oh, the burger's great. You do a burger maybe about an hour at 129. I do everything at like around an hour, an hour and a half at 129. I have a new sous vide technology to share with you. Um, so I got uh, for Hanukkah gift this year, someone got me, uh, Thomas Keller uh, has a book called Under Pressure that's like one of these. Uh, it's kind of this this fetishy um, molecular gastronomy sous vide book. You know, these books with like lots of cutaways and technical diagrams and this like impossibly intricate food that you would never make in a million years. Well, like, like say spray on mashed potatoes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's one of these books. that's like very high presentation, like stuff that you'd never actually make. But I've been reading. It's just interesting. Like there's the stories behind all these dishes, how they came up with them and whatever. And the gimmick of the book is everything in the book uses uh, sous vide. And I, I've been stealing a couple of like here and there, just stealing a couple of ideas from these dishes without actually trying to make the whole thing. Uh, but uh, carrots. 
I have, I literally think I made the best carrot that I've ever tasted in my entire life. I had like a transformative carrot experience. So here's what you do. Get the best carrots you can. Like I, I got some nice like uh, farmer's market, uh, you know, uh, heirloom carrots, like different colors and, and uh, you know, weird shapes. You know, they, they have some flavor. Uh, peel them into the Ziploc with like two tablespoons of butter, uh, a tablespoon of sugar, and a, ta- and a sprinkle of salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, se- seal it. You got to suck the meat. Uh, get all the air out of there. Mm-hmm. Sous vide at like, uh, I think it was like 183 for uh, an hour or two. And then you, they come out and all the carrot, the water, the carrots have like released all their water. So it's kind of this like wet, sugary, buttery um, sauce. The carrots, the sauce, the whole bag, you dump it into your cast iron pan on a high heat. Uh, oh, man. Go, caramelize it. You get it like nice and brown in the pan. It's the most. It is the most intensely flavored carrot I have ever had in my entire life. These carrots are so dense. I mean, like when we microwave carrots, you know, I tend to we we microwave to steam stuff all the time, like you know, broccoli, asparagus, whatever. With carrots, it, it seems like you need like almost twice as long with carrots because they're so dense. I, I yeah, I don't like. I mean, I'm texturally, I'm not a big fan of carrots. And this was like a steak. It was like I mean, you could just cut it with your fork. It was. I'm so gonna try that. It was. It it was unbelievable. So what are you are you pretty pretty uh, sure about that? You said one sixty, one eighty three for an hour. But the burgers the burgers were terrific uh, all around, and like I'm I'm finally realizing that for certain. Like last night I made tri tip, a couple nights ago I made burgers, and you know we don't get that situation where there's blood on the plate. Like nobody likes blood on the plate, mm-hmm. but you can still like if you do. It's it's interesting because there's it's it's surprising how different the range between, say, 125 and 135 can be. Like, 135 is, like, pretty medium to my taste, and 125 can be pretty rare. So somewhere between 129 and 131. I don't know why this is so specific, but um, it gets a burger just where you want it to be. And well, it's, it's, it's even more amazing when a restaurant is putting out, like, a huge quantity of food. You know, they're cooking steaks to order, like one, like one of these big steakhouses, and they're all yeah. coming out perfect with that level of precision. It's even more impressive. Yeah, that that is that is really masterful, uh, and so yeah, and so that's what I've been doing. And tonight, I think I may make pork chops. I got some pork chops I sealed up, but also it's just really great because you get a bunch of this meat and you've sealed it up. I think it can last for up to six months in the freezer when it is. I haven't no, I haven't read a ton of the science behind this or the safety behind this, but my sense is that in the freezer they're good. Most stuff is good for six months, which is more than enough time as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and it doesn't get weird. It doesn't get, you know, if you buy steaks from like Safeway and just throw it in your freezer, it's going to get weird. It's going to get freezer burn. It's going to get odd. And this seems to uh, prevent that from happening. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like it. I, I am also, we have a very small kitchen. We have a small house. We have like two plugs in the entire house. The lights kind of blink on and off while we're running the sous vide. It's really scary. So uh, I don't like having stuff we don't need, but I think I'm going to use this thing a lot. And, and, and it is also possible then, like I say, to do this at a pass. So you can get a whole bunch of stuff sealed up, and you, know, you don't need to be using it like every day. Well, I think this is I think this is selling me on the on the the vacuum seal thing. Did you get the one Andy recommended? Uh, I think I followed the link from that back to work or excuse me, uh, Inako Almanac ep- episode. Okay. Yeah, Food Saver. I got the V twenty two forty four. I also accidentally ordered an extra extra large shirt, so I look like a baby. Are you you're and you're just wearing it? Yeah, I'm just wearing. It. It's a really cool shirt. All right, should we let's uh, let's blow through this episode. Uh, so uh, this episode, they uh, they started off. Uh, they went to the date 
the date well, ranch. Still, first of all, can we say I think they're still in Palm Springs? Was this whole episode in Palm Springs? I think it was. I think so. Yeah, that's right. Because that makes sense. Because that's where the big gay marriage uh, uh, thing would be. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Okay. So they start off going to the date ranch. The uh, the the uh, date uh, ranch. Is it a ranch? What is it? A date farm? I would say it's a like a date orchard. A date orchard, and uh, they had uh, you had our, the Cajun uh, the Cajun chef uh, uh, had that uh, hook. I was <laughs> I was almost sure there was going to be some sort of violent accident. Yeah, got to throw in some colorful stuff. Cajun man five thousand dons the machete. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they're given um, why they went to the date farm. <clears throat> I'm not really sure, but then they wind up uh, back in the Top Chef kitchen with a big basket of dates. Yeah, three three different kinds of dates that they did not have not, to pick themselves. If this hasn't if this hasn't been funny enough, yeah, 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 because get ready, there's a pun coming. There's a pretty funny pun. You ready for the pun? Yeah, dates. Get it? Dates. Yep. So they the chefs all had to cook. You know, Merlin. You know how cooking is a story. It's really about inspiration. It's all about the story of the and food. The story. Yeah, the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, every uh, food that you taste, it's uh, very narrative uh, yes. with a beginning, middle, and end. You can't uh, cook without inspiration. Yeah, abs- yeah. I mean, it's all it's all the story that you cook into the food. Uh, so they had to use the, the dates to tell the story of a date that they went on. It turns out that, uh, if you can believe this, more than half of the chefs, uh, their dates were uh, spicy and sweet, if you can believe that. Yeah, PG-13. Yeah, they go on yeah. uh, spicy and sweet dates. I don't like I don't like the parts where they have to do the exposition by talking to each other. I don't I don't I don't I, it doesn't mind me it doesn't bother me as much on Top Dress, but for some reason on Top Chef it bugs me when they do. Hey, so uh, what are you what are you working on, Bobby Sue? Oh well, you know, one time I went to this I went to this pitchfork convention at my farm and we had a bit. Uh, but you know, it's okay. But like I have to say, I was very impressed with what people were capable of doing with a date because I don't know what to do with a date. Have you ever cooked with dates? Uh, I have. I made. Uh, there's. Uh, I did like the uh, the chorizo dates from uh, this restaurant in Chicago one time, and and they were good. Dates What's are... the stuff in Indian rice? Is that raisins? Uh, yeah. I think when you so. have like a biryani. I think so. Yeah, I think that's just. I don't think those are dates. I think those are raisins. Hey, you've hmm. had you've had a date, surely, um, on some sort of fancy cheese plate. I confuse them with figs, so I'm not sure if I have. Okay, a date is uh, like a like a like a uh, sticky, wrinkly uh, little testicle, and it's uh, darker in color, <laughs> like John Legend's wife. <laughs> so nice the way they introduced her. Oh my God, look, it's John Legend's wife. Yeah, and uh, oh man, that whole this whole challenge, I was I just felt bad for these chefs. I, I, I you know, it really I, I now that you mention it, it really gets me anxious when they make the chefs like explain when they make them ask each other what they're doing because they clearly have to prompt that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also in, in a couple of cases their anecdotes changed. Oh, in between when they say it and when they tell the judges or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh I think part of the issue is maybe on top dress, you know, I know that they have a couple hours to make these dresses. Uh they're sometimes they're working over multiple days and you're doing something, you know, kind of manual like sewing or whatever in the kitchen. It's like you always have like five minutes stuff. You know, there's knives and like boiling water flying everywhere. Like it, you kind of need your whole focus a little bit more. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, these, these challenges, the whole idea of having half an hour to do anything, starting with like choosing what you're going to make and getting the ingredients. I mean, how many kinds of cooking can you really do in like 20 minutes and still have time to plate? It's it's yeah. harrowing. Um, my favorite was uh, of all the stories. Well, I guess it was Kwame was the one who was uh, 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 
like rendered speechless at uh, John Legend's wife. I wasn't sure if that was yes. done in like editing or if he really was sort of I starstruck. Did, I did not know who she was. I thought she was Tila Tequila. Because anytime I see somebody who looks like that lady, I assume it's Tila Tequila because I don't know who she is either. That's a safe bet. Statistically, you're probably right more often than not. Her name was Chrissy Teigen. Uh, I think it was um, Giselle. One of my favorite. There was like a, just a really sort of absurd moment in this where everyone was like, uh, my uh, dates are, uh, I go on uh, spicy and sweet dates. My dates, whenever I go on a date, I hope it's spicy. So they were all talking about their like spicy and sweet dates. And I think it was Giselle came out and she's like, I made a seared branzino and a salad here. Yeah. Like, I like that she was like, I like she was just like, I don't know, I made some food with a date. No, I think it. Giselle was the one who uh, went on a blind date. And I guess there was lots of petting or something. So she had three kinds of dates because you never know what you're going to get. It just it didn't make a lick of sense. Okay. I don't remember. Someone had, there was someone came out. I can't remember who. And I just love that they were like, yeah, I cooked a fish. Here you go. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. But there was some, and I was a little worried. Like, uh, what's his head? Handsome man, Carl, uh, making a milkshake. I think that was, a, that was, that was gutsy, but maybe I'm not sure that was such a great idea. Some people did that thing where they used it in a sauce, but it wasn't really part of the main dish, which, you know, Palma makes a face when you mm -hmm. do that. Don't use the date. Don't hide it. You got to use it. Use the date. Don't hide it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's a dumb challenge, but I thought, they, I thought they, they seemed like they did well with it. It was, you know, it was fun. It had some uh, propulsiveness. I believe, I believe Jason, did Jason win? Jeremy, bald guy with the beard. Yes. Who and, also I won think it was his first challenge. Oh wait, yeah, that might be right. Yeah, he he and uh, he and Wesley last week uh, made the um, you know the thing. That's right. So you guys are gonna talk me out of this. I thought I really liked this episode. Now I'm wondering if I did. <sighs> I don't know. It, it, this is a weird part of the season for me because in the early in the first you know one or two episodes, it's like there's a little bit of chaos. Like you have all these contestants and they're bouncing off of each other. You're meeting everyone. They usually have these really crazy you know frantic challenges. Like, I like that. I love all that craziness as you get to meet everyone. And then it's sort of weird where there's, like, slightly too many people to follow everyone and the right. challenges are kind of boring. And then in the last half of the season when it gets down to, like, the final, like, eight people and you can really follow everyone and, like, do, you know, they're doing restaurant wars and everything, then it's great again. But this is, like, the, the, the chunk of the season where it's, like, I don't know. I just feel like we're, we're like, weeding out the, the bottom. The, yeah, good, the good people are kind of floating in the middle. Yeah, this part this part is a little bit of a grind because you there's still there's so many there's enough to like you have enough information to kind of know the different personalities you see how they're being cast in terms of the story of the season but yeah it can be difficult because it's it's difficult to follow what everybody's really doing and I think you end up having people who get a little less coverage and that's kind of a telegraph that they're not going to be you know big players in what happens but I, I think they're I think they're doing a pretty good job I feel like I have a pretty good sense of who these people are uh, the other part of the storytelling you know. Uh, Sort of like with the, with the the way last week's ended, with um, or I guess two weeks ago, whenever the last episode was, with uh, Grayson going out, and, you know, again further like establishing Angelina as like you know, she's kind of like she seems kind of doomed at mm -hmm. this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of a matter of time before she she's she's got more attitude that well, I'm always hesitant to like just come out and say this, but the way she's being edit edited. She seems to have a lot of attitude for being a middle-of-the-road chef. I would probably be exactly the same way. I think I, in this show, I would totally be Philip, whether I liked it or not. That's how I would come off. They would play <laughs> doot 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 music for me, I'm uh -huh. pretty sure, like almost all the time. You think you'd be a, you think you'd be a ding-a-ling? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I, I, 
I, I would, they would have a shot where I'm talking way too much and it's bothering everyone. You know, that kind of classic, the top drafts, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, top chef thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I would be out there cleaning off a rock to put my boogers on. <laughs> Boy, that guy, that guy, I, I, I am, I don't want to spoil it, but I, I'm really glad he's still in because he is, he is very entertaining on this show. Someone uh, I like on Twitter, someone pointed, uh, uh, made a good tweet to us and they're like, you know, every time Philip cooks something from his restaurant, it's a total disaster and everyone hates it. I kind of enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. We're like his wife's recipes and he's having all these problems, but you know, yeah, who knows? Like you say, I think I like the way you put that with like how they're edited. It's not who they are as an actual human being on the planet. I mean, it's how they come off on the show. But you're right. So they got they got through. Let's get past that. So uh, they got through that challenge. Anything else really notable happen in the quick fire? Yeah, I have no. I, I didn't. I, all I wrote down uh, was spicy and sweet. They all went on dates that were spicy and sweet. Uh, always a question in my mind when Top Chef does the uh, when they when it, when they do the whole like someone's like coming out story and they sort and of when have they do the, a, like, very, a very special episode yeah a very special episode of Top Chef right and there's and they they play up the gay storyline because on the one hand I like that that's that it's it wasn't a big controversy it was just like here's the wedding that we're doing uh, and it was this celebration and I I will cop to um, during the the wedding uh, ceremony I, I got a little. Uh, uh, I, I got a little emotional. It was it was a it was a very it was a very nice moment. But also, part of me is like, this is kind of just pandering to Bravo. Like, it's kind of the, like corporatization. It's like taking this this. It's like co-opting this this political message and just like simplifying it and selling it as this commodity of like, hey, look, we're cool. We we put this in our reality show. Well, I'm a I'm a non-player character in this campaign uh, for the most part. But I something I will say as as somebody who I, I mean I. I'm supportive of people, uh, something as simple as people being able to have the same rights as other people. Um, I mean, that's just, that's, this is America. Like <laughs> it's important that this happened and I have to give them, I have to give them, yes, it is. This, it's not as, there's a little bit of pandering for sure. Uh, a little bit of, a little bit of pandering, but anytime that you can put people on TV and have it not be, here's a bunch of weirdos doing a weird thing. I think over time that has a cumulative effect. I mean, I think it's kind of a little bit like where we are with trans stuff right now. We're like, you know what? Seeing more and more people who are trans that are not in Silence of the Lambs is a good thing. The more that we get exposure to like normal people who have the same desires in life that we do, but just a, a, a different some different stuff going on, like that doesn't mean we can't all be Americans together. And like, th- I still think there is something as pandering as that is. That's the kind of pandering that I can handle. Uh, that's and that's what I liked about how Top Chef handled it was like it wasn't the big gay wedding episode. Like I think there was like Art Smith made a few jokes, but other it, wasn't it was actually like, the, actually the title of the episode. Max, was it actually? It's actually called Big Gay Wedding. Okay, I here's okay, and here's here's the other thing. I Merlin, did you read this article that's that was going around a while back? Uh, I I actually I like just got to it over break, and I can't stop thinking about it. But it was called uh, I can tolerate anybody but the out group. It's a fantastic article, but. Many, many good points in this in this article. It's just a really nice, like, like piece of writing. Um, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. But, like, one of the things I liked is he was talking about how there's, like, there's this, you know, it was just sort of this reflection on, like, the state of the culture war in America. And one of the interesting things he was talking about is he's, like, you know, I, I was realizing, like, I know intellectually that about half of the country opposes gay marriage. Maybe I think it's a little less now. But, you know, over the in the last five years, whatever, like, it's not, at various points, about 50% of the country is against gay marriage. Now, I know in my life, I know a pretty big group of people. Like, I would say I probably know more people, like, online and in real life than the average person. Like, I live in a big city, and I'm part of all these, like, professional communities and stuff. But I 
if I think about it, I don't know. I I I don't know anyone who's against gay marriage. I couldn't think of one acquaintance that I have or a friend of a friend. Do you feel like you'll you feel like by and large in your perception? Uh, use your words here, but in your perception, the country has mostly moved past that particular form of widespread prejudice. I think that nearly a hundred percent of the viewers of Top Chef are can be assumed to be strongly in support of gay marriage, and the like fifty percent right. of the country, the the you know in this in this in this uh, I could tolerate anyone but the Art Group article. He talks about it not so neatly as like Democrats and Republicans, but more of like blue team and red team. So it's like the blue team people, they're all, it's just for granted that you're in favor of gay marriage. And also like that's the people who watch Top Chef. And there's also people who are the red team and they don't watch Top Chef. They watch country music videos or I don't know, something else. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think my, my, I, I do know a lot of people who are against it just because I, I do go to other places where, boy, it's really obvious that, that this is not a solved problem. But with that said, I think one giant change is in the number of people who are willing to say in words that regardless of who these two people are, they deserve the same standing in the law as other people. That's, that's a concept. I mean, not to be all lake off here, but that's the framing issue. The framing issue is not like how do you feel about what these people do in their bedroom, but do you think, do you think it's fair and just to treat them in a way that punishes them as a citizen? For, for that thing that doesn't affect you in the least, you know? And so for a long time, people would make the case that, you know, this is, we've got to cut this out, that this is, that basically you are harming the idea of heterosexual marriage. You are, you know, you're, you're degrading that idea of this institution, regardless of the fact that 50% of people get divorced anyway. But I think the interesting shift is the number of people, on the one hand, the number of people who are willing to say, like, you know, I'm, I'm not against that. Like, I think that should be okay, and it doesn't really concern me. These are just people being people. Maybe more interesting is the number of people who no longer feel the need to say, I'm against it. So even if they're not for it, I think we're still in this part of the curve where we're moving more toward people who are still kind of mulling it over. It doesn't feel right to them. It's not like their mom and dad. It's not like them and their spouse. But I think they're not as dead set against it as, I used, as they used to be. And that's, I think that's arguably the biggest change right now are the people who may be silent about it, but at least they're not against it. Did you ever hear this one that uh, homophobia is the fear that uh, other men will treat you how you treat women? Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Should we take a sponsor break? We talked about computers. Uh -huh. We talked about Apple Music. Uh -huh. We talked about gay marriage. Uh -huh. And we can't remember anything that happened on the show. I think this is why people listen. This episode was brought to us by our, our friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is the unlimited, unthrottled online backup service for your Mac or PC. Backblaze allows you to access all of your data anywhere. Uh, and it's incredibly simple. The way it works is it's just this tiny little app. It runs in your system tray, and it silently backs up all of your files. Uh, Backblaze was founded by ex-Apple engineers, and it runs natively on your Mac or PC. And I think the design expertise that they have really shines through because this thing just works. It's one of these pieces of software that you set it up. It takes five minutes, and then you never think about it again until you urgently, desperately need it. And it's there. It's been working the whole the whole time. Uh, so if you do lose everything, the way you restore your data, it's really simple. You can restore just one file if you screw something up or all of your files. They have a web restore, or if you're really screwed, you can order a USB hard drive, and they will mail it to you, a whole system restore on a hard drive. Uh, and uh, in addition, they also have like iOS and Android apps that allow you to access and share all of your files. And probably one of my favorite things about Backplays, uh, just in line with, with this 
kind of simplicity. There's no add-ons, there's no gimmicks, there's no additional charges. It's just $5 per month per computer, and it gives you unlimited, unthrottled backup. Uh, Backways, in addition, they're running a free trial for listeners of the Top Scallops podcast, which is available for you to try at backways.com slash scallops. Uh, it, let's say you have your uh, your list of recipes, and uh, your your whole computer crashes, and you need your you need to know how to suck your carrots. Yeah, gotta, yeah you don't lose that idea. You know, I've mentioned this before, but I you know sometimes I get a little bee in my bonnet, and I want to mention something because I think it's so powerful. Um, for those of you who have Backblaze installed, um, you you probably already know this, but you can go into Backblaze. I think this is so canny, and you basically log into the website securely. And you can say you have a couple different angles for looking at stuff. So if you go, oh, I'm not sure that I lose this copy. What's the latest version of this? You can go into the website and say, show me things that have backed up just in the last like 24 hours. You drill down into a certain folder and you see the files that were backed up in that period of time. And it's so disco to be able to go in and grab exactly the file you want from when you needed it. And you can do that. I've never done it on iOS. I understand you can do it on iOS. But like if you're on vacation with your family and you need to get to some file, you can go and get it from in there. Even if it's if you're not on that computer right now, you can go get that file and it'll zip it up and download it for you. And it's incredibly handy. You'll, you will find yourself using it at least slightly more than you think you would. All right. Well, our thanks to Backblaze uh, for sponsoring uh, Top Scallops podcast. Thank you. Buck, buck. This week, the chefs, it was a catering challenge. The chefs had to make uh, uh, just a huge quantity of food for, what was it, like 20 weddings and their wedding parties? Something like that. Yeah, it was a lot of people. Uh, who's see. the guy with the beard? I like him. Art What's Smith. Art Smith is a delight. He was the man. He was the guy, the guest judge, right? He's a Chicago guy. He has a couple of restaurants here in Chicago. Um, he uh, was the chef for the Obamas at the White House for some time. And he's just like a just a delightful guy. Like he's been on Top Chef Masters, and I just find him to be like, he's just like the nicest, coolest. Like like I want him to be like my my like uncle or something. Like I just want to hang out with him. Yeah. Like, did you notice? Like, again, who knows what goes into editing? But did you notice like how many times he like found an opportunity to say something nice to people at the table? Like, I don't know. I it's that felt sincere. To yeah. Me. And I also love like so so they did a um, a sort of like ill fated wedding on Top Chef Masters. And he was uh, got he got eliminated for it because he, they had he to make a cake. cake, and this cake was this cake was a hot mess. I mean, it was falling apart. It was sloughing off. Like it was it was re- wait was it a wedding or wasn't it was it like a girl's like no I think he made quince- a, he made a wedding style cake and it okay. like didn't it like collapse a little wasn't bit? for like a girl's like quinceanera or something. All I know is wedding cakes are way harder than they look. They're so full of butter, and you have to be like a structural engineer and chef to know how to make a multi-layered cake. It is, it's not as simple as making a bunch of little cakes and stacking them. I do know that much. Yeah, so he, so I, I, I just immediately was like found it endearing that he's like, and because I'm the judge and I got sent home on the cake, no one has to make the cake. <laughs> that was funny, yeah. I, I, like I, I just enjoyed that. I don't know if that was like the Top Chef producers requested that, but in my uh, head canon, he was like, yes, I will judge this episode, but only if... The contestants don't have to make the cake. It's so cute. If you go to his uh, Twitter account, uh, his banner image is him and his husband. It looks like in the desert, like maybe probably at the wedding. Uh, he he's he's a he's he's just a a wonderful guy. So good. I mean, in, uh, you know, pretty interesting challenge. I mean, the I mean, honestly, after everything said, I don't know how much you leave in of what we said, but uh, but you know, this is the big gay wedding. Not that that MacGuffin is not super critical to the food that's being made. 
But now, yes, we do have a team style challenge or a not a team challenge, but a collaborative challenge. And so I am I am intrigued by how they figure out who's going to do what people make their case for different kinds of food, you know, and and I, I don't know that that part I really enjoy. I enjoy watching people work that out because, again, what are the factors here? You have a budget. In this case, I think it was two thousand dollars was the budget. Which sounds like a lot, but not really. You've got to be able to make all these different courses. You've got to be able to shine. You've got to be able to serve something. People, catering, so much harder than you think. Like, And you can even see like how challenging it was to like go and singly marinate like a single little uh, roll or something like that. Very intensive. But I, I like that part of the group challenges. And I, I, I thought this was a fun one. I love, uh, I think we might have talked about this before, but I love when the catering equipment comes out. So they're all like, I love when they're like working together to spin the, the racks with the uh cellophane oh with the glad wrap brand uh wrapping yeah right love that i do too i love that part and it's also that's often you know that that's going to be a tricky challenge that frequently things are left behind when they have to go somewhere else that happens a lot yeah there's always like a like there's always kind of a weird setup when they arrive too. like sometimes it's it's not they don't always have the exact equipment that they need or they have like you know those little like campfire burners or whatever also got to give props, though, to Colony, Colony 29. That place looked beautiful. It looks like a very lovely place to have a wedding. I thought the photography and stuff on this one was nice. It looked really good. The the whole the wedding sequence was shot really nicely, I thought. It was, like, uh, un, uncharacteristically cinematic for Top Chef and uh, definitely um, was surprised by how much I enjoyed that that part of the episode. You know, seeing the chef scramble to get everything ready sort of intercut with the, the, the really nice scenes of this wedding. And now let's struggle together to remember who did what. Well, here's what I remember is uh, back in uh, good old uh, episode one, I said, uh, man, I like the look of this Kwame guy. I feel like he could go all the way. Mm -hmm. I said, he's my guy. Yep. I believe he won. Yeah, he surely did. Um, and that was him. That was him and Wesley. Uh, yes, because I love the two of them. Were, I love the two of them together. Like, I love their goofy... Too you know like like a buddy cop uh, uh mismatch oh this is kind of cool if you go to the top chef site uh i actually put this in notes you, there's photos of the the dishes that people did amar and chad oh yeah the cherry glazed pork belly i think that was a hit jeremy did uh, citrus roasted carrots with harissa yogurt Wesley and Kwame did, oh, the pickled shrimp. That's right. <laughs> so Wesley Wesley wanted to do this sort of like, uh, you know, one of those classic like vinegary kind of like uh, cucumber onion salads. And then they pickled some shrimp in there. That looked like that was really great. Jason and Angelina made something that is not, repeat, not a dolma. Oh, oh, KG Man 5000 made dirty rice. I'm just reading the webpage at this point. No, I'm now this is this is this is good content. I'm doing the same thing. I'm I'm just scrolling this dish of recipes. The uh, Marjorie and Carl made the grilled apricots and cherries. That was a big hit. And, of course, <laughs> Philip and Kwame. Uh, Kwame made the sauce, but uh, Philip made made his, what do you say? It's mashed potatoes, but as a sauce. <laughs> mashed potatoes as a sauce. <laughs> Which, I know, don't get me wrong. I like potatoes. I like mashed potatoes. Hell, I like sauces. But I don't think I would ever order <laughs> Of a menu that featured somebody deliberately making mashed potatoes as a sauce. Uh, man, I mean, okay, so a lot of times I feel pretty bad for the uh, contestants because I feel like they made something that looks 
pretty fucking good to me. And then the chefs are just picking it apart like you under seasoned it. You know what? They're ripping it apart like they, you know, like. Yeah, they, it seems like they're really just trying to find fault. Yeah. And also like they overreact like like, oh, you've like violated the laws of God and men by, you know, under seasoning this or whatever. It's some minor slip up. Right. You you overcooked it just slightly or whatever. But boy, when this when he was uh, had the um, the potatoes in that uh, the spray can. Uh, the pressure sprayer uh, dingus. Yeah. What do you, what do you call that? The marcellinator. Yes. Th- thank you. The mar- the the the. the no, it's one of those things where you usually use it to make like a like a foam or to to basically dispense Wait, something. Is it an infuser? What is that? I know. I, I know. I, don't, I honestly anyway, don't know. It's that it, that when he had it in that contraption and it was this sort of gummy, uh, uh, glutinous blob that was sort of dripping out of it I, it just it's it's what i am it's what i imagine soylent looks like <laughs> and probably tastes like yeah but yeah, i don't know i mean who knows and then of course they did they they did a total blanket party on philip at several times at one point doing the let's show the edit of what he actually said versus what he's saying now they ran a daily show on him yeah yeah i was trying to think when they did that has top chef ever done that before um I feel like they don't do it too often. Yeah, it's pretty rare when they... It make... kind of shows the artifice of editing when they do that. I mean, it really highlights it. It's one thing to show a flashback where they desaturated the picture to, like, make it, you know, to show you, oh, here's, you know, here's the chef having problems with his wedding cake and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, the reaction for everybody was terrific. I mean, Tom, I've never seen Tom so happy with, uh, the, with the dishes, at least through the first, like, half. Yeah, uh, everything... I thought that everything came out uh, pretty good and uh, definitely uh, good episode for my uh, my guy Kwame because I think he contributed uh, some of the best elements to uh, several of those dishes. I also like that uh, Tom was cosplaying the principal from Back to the Future. <laughs> and what's his name? His name's uh, oh Mr. Strickland, right? Yeah, Philip, you'll never amount to anything. Oh no, wait, isn't that is that the principal? Uh... No, that's like the that's like the angry groundskeeper or something. Or is that the principal? <laughs> You know Groundskeeper Willie, you're a slacker. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's Mr. Strickland. That's Mr. Sh- that is the principal. Mr. Strickland. Okay, yeah, that's right. Okay. There is no Groundskeeper Willie in this. Okay. Strickland as a service. Anyway, I thought the dishes looked great. I would love to have eaten them. It was, you know, and it was fun. It had lots of nice little notes. If you're into watching this show for more than just the food, there was lots of nice little bits. You know, Padma going out and visit visiting with the recently married people. Uh, and, you know, and I, again, not to beat this to death, it was nice to see all those people having fun. I mean, that was kind of cool. You know, I don't know what kind of crazy person would ever want a Top Chef contest to be how their wedding food got made, but God <laughs> bless them. Yeah, this must have been some sort of Top Chef-themed wedding package that people could opt into or something along those lines. Oh. I'll say, uh, what I, what, okay, so sometimes I have a weird feeling about when Top Chef invents an event for people to come to to taste the food, because it always has a little bit of artifice to it of like... Hmm. They're always like, oh, the guests were really unhappy. Like this event was really marred by the subpar quality of the food or whatever. But of course, like there would be no guests there if they weren't there to taste the food. Like when they set up those like, you know, those events where everyone has a little cart of food. Oh, yeah. Sort of like they do with um, with um, restaurant wars where people fill out a card. Yeah. Right. It's like there was like, oh, you really disappointed the diners tonight at restaurant wars. Well, those diners came to a restaurant that doesn't really exist. Yeah, they saw an ad in the paper for free food. Right to to yeah. experience the the Top Chef, you know, to taste a new the the pop up from the Top Chef shoot of the day or whatever. So I always feel don't feel that much sympathy. Like I feel like the the stakes are sort of artificially 
dramatically high. And I, I guess I did really, I was really genuinely happy that the food was good for this because I do think that it was really people's real wedding. Oh yeah, and I think it did. I think it did look good. I mean, I, I could buy that this was good. I thought that te- the tension between oh, Jason was Jason was the secret star of this episode in some ways. He was so bitchy, and it was so fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, the, like I say, the thing where J- Jason is warning Angelina like not to call this thing something that it's not, and then she did, and she did. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, I don't understand what dolma means as a term of art, but I can understand whether it's computers or comic books or whatever it is that there are terms of art. Right. And just calling every superhero Superman shows that you're not very smart about comics, for example. Right. If you start saying uh, OS X when mm-hmm. you're talking about this operating system, you know, don't say that because like I know that sounds silly because it sounds like the same thing to you. But when other people hear that, they're going to you're going to have less credibility. It, it You know, it's also like we've talked about how much of Top Chef is sometimes how it's not even what you cook. It's how you sell it to the judges. Yeah, I'm so very it's interested like, in that. Right? Yeah. So it's like if, if they say it's a dolma and he knows it's not a dolma, the judges are going to ding them and say, well, you didn't make the dolma correctly. Whereas if they're like, we just use these ingredients to interpret our own thing, the judges won't have that that critique. That's a really, you know, I hadn't thought about it in that way. I, I, you've seen in the notes document that I'd love to talk about the, the role of how you sell dishes at some point. I think it's very interesting. But also what you're describing here, like if you call something something, uh, whatever that is, whether, you know, I guess well, I'm trying to think of terms like a remoulade or whatever. If you call this thing like that's a, or a pancetta or whatever, like these are all like these mean things, mm-hmm. right? If you say uh, pa- pasta puttanesca, that means this specific well, kind what, of thing. What was, there was the great one from, I think, was it, geez, was it the last episode where someone yeah. made a white sauce or something? Or it was no. a- well, he made a white brown sauce, a brown white sauce. Rather. Yeah, well, what, but what was what was that sauce? It was like a something blanca or what? I don't remember what it was, but there was like, he was like, yes, I made that, and it, Tom was like, you know that that literally means a white sauce, and <laughs> right, yeah, he's yeah, like, was, that was Philip. Yeah. yeah, right, poor guy. But I mean, I have to say, I thought all the foods looked really good. I thought, I thought, you know, I thought in the elimination challenge, it, it looked like everybody did really well for the most part. And, you know, there's something a little bit heartbreaking about when you get down to like everybody actually did pretty well mostly. And now we got to pick a knit, you know. Oh, <laughs> should we mention who won and everything? Yeah, right. So, yeah, Kwame won. Yep. Um, there, I have, you have to call out that moment where, <laughs> where Jason popped up for no reason at the end. So there's the four people who are on the potentially on the chopping block, and then all the other contestants are off to the side as they're doing this season. And Philip Philip is out there doing this exegesis about his uh, mashed potato style sauce. And you know, I don't think he was fibbing hugely, but Jason just couldn't take it anymore, and he had to pipe in. Right. Big big drama. I think we saw that four times in the episode leading up to it. You know, the thing is, I sympathize with Jason. I, I really do. I, I, I'm somewhere between Philip and Jason because I, I, am, I am the dingling that Philip is portrayed as, but I'm also the incredibly sensitive, outsider-feeling guy that Jason is. Like, I'm very sympathetic when all these guys are walking around doing all their dude bros, and he feels like, ugh, this is, this is not what I want to be doing. That, I'm sympathetic uh, to that. that, that did, I did feel bad for him. That was, I think, was that in last week's where they all went swimming? I think it was a couple uh, couple episodes ago yeah. when they were all in the pool, and this is a big dude bro kind of season. There's lots of chest bumping. There's lots of, you know, people like, was it Amar? And, um, Swinging machetes and, uh, around. Yeah, there's lots of, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, that's how kitchens are. Kitchens are, are very macho places. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm glad Jason's doing well, and I, uh, you know, I kind of felt for him. Uh, well, so uh, who was out uh uh, Giselle was Jizzy. out this week. Yeah, Jizzy. Jizzy, as they all call her. I, I think. Mm. Do we do we just learn that this week? 
in the yeah, last chance kitchen. Jizzy. I yep. just learned about Jizzy this week, and I'm not comfortable about it. Uh, but, uh, man, one of the best uh, Last Chance Kitchens, I think, maybe ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was so fun. So now we're down to it's going to be uh, Grayson versus Giselle. Mm-hmm. Interesting challenge, but also just, like, I think it was well shot. It was well edited. Uh, it had a lot of uh, – it was it was fun. I often – I've, I've brought this up before, but I often get frustrated in Top Chef when they put the – they give the chefs these – challenges that you would never encounter in any sort of like real world scenario uh and then they they're just like here this is the rules you have to deal with it and i love that in this last chance kitchen both grayson and giselle were like we don't like this challenge we want to go with our first uh pick uh, choice and tom was like okay go for it right it's it's, sometimes last chance kitchen is a little bit like saw like there's got to be some kind of like irony to the challenge based on your weakness. Like mm-hmm. you have to go recreate the dish that ruined you. So yeah, why why was this good? It was good because first of all there was the challenge, which was how did it actually go? You had to pick something and then decide, and then and then they had to go make these dishes. But it was very kinetic. There was lots of energy, lots of running around, lots of funny lines. It was just it was it was kind of joyful. Yeah, and uh, I just I I I love Grayson. Like I love watching her on camera. I think she's really funny. And I think like any situ- any time you put her in like a crazy stressful situation, it's just fun to watch on TV. Like I love watching her deal with problems in kind of a frantic way and pull it out of the fire. It's very satisfying. Oh, totally agree. Yeah. And so who who ended up winning? Uh, Grayson won. She's still in. Ding. I think she. I wonder if she's gonna uh, ride this thing uh, all the way back into the finale. That would be quite a surprise. Well, if you figure, well, the thing is the figure who's left that might not make it till the end. Um. And there's at least three or four people who could be extremely strong. Yeah. It's not likely. I mean, I think this is about... So Kristen Kish has got to have the longest run in Last Chance Kitchen, where she came back and won This the is my thing. first season of, like, keeping up with it, so I don't, I don't know well, that much Well, about so, it. you know, in Kristen, Kristen Kish's season, the one where she won, uh, was that Boston or D.C.? I can't remember. But uh, she got eliminated early on. In a in a very unfair, I think she got eliminated in restaurant wars, and it it wasn't her fault or something like that. I don't remember her at all. I feel like I haven't watched this season. Oh, she's... Kristen's Kristen's one of my all time favorite favorite top chefs. She's she's wonderful. She's an wow. amazing cook. Uh, 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 very cool, cool under pressure, like really fun to watch. Just utterly competent in every situation. Yeah. So this is uh, season ten. Season ten, yeah. Uh-huh. And she got eliminated in a way that was just totally unfair. And I think in she got sent home at uh, a restaurant wars for something that wasn't her fault. And she stuck it out in Last Chance Kitchen and beat like two thirds of the cast. And then came back in the finale, and everyone was like, you know, holy crap. And then oh she. Oh my won. goodness! I'm reading this. Wow, that's incredible. And then she won the whole thing. If you haven't wow. seen season ten. I mean, now you don't need to because I just spoiled it, but it would have been good to watch before I said that. No, that's all right. I'll forget it anyway. Uh, Great season of the show. One of my favorite seasons. Yeah, and so on they go. I still think it's weird that the people who've lost previous challenges have to sit there and ask questions and strange. I mean, (laughs) I feel better about it knowing or suspecting, as you said, that they're kind of shot in sequence. It's not like actually like weeks and weeks going by, Mm -hmm. but it's still kind of awkward. Is Tom changing clothes in between shoots? That'd be something uh, to look uh, out uh, for. Of Last Chance Kitchen? Yeah. I, I imagine. They probably have people for that. Okay. Oh, just for like continuity purposes? Well, yeah, yeah. And they probably have a bow tie wrangler for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I bet he changes. That's, that's you know, it's it's, it's this professional TV operation, Max. Okay. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And so that was a really good one. What happens? I, I don't think I watched. Did I watch the preview for next week? Never watched the previews. 
I, I, mm. I like to go in fresh. Oh yeah, that's my favorite use of Siri right now. Is like uh, skipping previews on like uh, on uh, Top Shark. I'll, I'll just say, Wait, jump forward ninety seconds. I don't want any spoilers. No spoilers. Wait, you can do that? Yeah, when you're on your Apple TV, you just hit the microphone and say, "Go forward ninety seconds." Almost every Netflix show that I watch, the credits are almost exactly a minute long. Can you say so, any arbitrary amount of time? You can say, "Go forward nineteen seconds." Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Don't don't do that scrubbing like a monster. You just got to talk to your TV. Wow, I have a pro. I'm I'm um, we have the uh in in okay so in our uh, in our bedroom we have the Apple TV and then we don't have like a TV in the bedroom. We just have a projector that kind of sits on the headboard and then it projects on like a wall. This like white wall opposite. Are the you bed. a Bond villain? <laughs> no, it's great. It's a it's an ama- it's a great setup because it's like we're renting this apartment. I don't want to like mount a TV on the wall. And there's not, I don't know what we, I guess put it on top of a dresser or something. I don't know. But anyway, you know, you get a, uh, we got just like whatever the, uh, the wire cutter said was a good projector, put it on the headboard. It's all, it's a, it's a great setup and it was like movie sized screen, uh, perfect for like, you know, watching TV and movies at night. But now That's we have cool. this, now we have this new, well, it's, I love the setup, but now I have this like whole issue where the Apple TV, it just does that smart thing where the projector plugs right into the Apple TV and then there's like a sound bar that I pl- have plugged into the projector. And the Apple TV does that really smart thing where when you turn the Apple TV on, it turns all the other equipment on that's like daisy chained to the Apple TV. Yeah. Like it can do that over HDMI now. But now I have a problem where like if I fall asleep and the remote's in the bed and one of us like rolls over, like the cat goes on the remote, the whole room, it's like comes alive. Oh, sure. Like the yeah. light comes on and the sound and whatever was playing comes back on. It's just this like, we're, we're both like, we're both like, ah, is there a home invasion? What's happening? Yeah, that's no way to live. Yeah. Big problem. We'll cover, uh, let's, let's cover Apple TV next week. Next week? Okay. So hopefully we're back on schedule now. We'll hopefully, uh, I hope that we'll get uh, regular episodes again now. I think so. I think we're back to, I think we're back to the regular weekly schedule. Good, good. All well, right. I think uh, almost all of this has to get edited out. Yeah, no, I think it's a good idea. Okay, just, just leave in the backblaze part. But, okay, but just some of it. Just a sponsor break, and then we'll say who wins. But we're not sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I right. think it was. Right. I this, think it was this person. What about the sucking as a service? You feel like you should take that out? Uh, no, that was well. I don't know. I mean, I mean, no, I mean do we want to tip our hand? Stealing, I mean, yeah. it's, it's brilliant content. I just don't want people stealing our idea. Mm-hmm. 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 I would. Uh, I would pay for sucking as a service. Yeah, I would too. I would too. I'd go platinum. Mm-hmm. And then you wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to suck at home. I already suck so much at home. (laughs) Brutal. I mean, I'll admit that I don't know everything about how Hollywood works. I do understand the concept that people who are new to the industry tend to make less money than other people. I think it's really deeply cynical. When you look at that one, like one stat I pulled out of my ass, like for example, right now, I know this is an outlier, but um, a 30-second ad for the Super Bowl costs $5 million. I think a typical ad, commercial on a TV show, costs well into the six figures for practically anything, especially on network TV. And like I don't know, there's something to me about going like she made, the she made the cost of about ten seconds of national media exposure for making that movie. Right. 
And and like I, I said this to one person who is pretty mansplaining, like I, I understand that she's going to be a millionaire, but the fact that she is not yet a millionaire and like th- it's still important. So are you guys talking about how Daisy Ridley barely got paid to be in Star Wars? I tried to explain. I, re- I saw this, it, this. The news came out, or I think because Merlin posted it during the cards retreat. Mm-hmm. And I was told the guys, I was like, can you believe this shit? Like they only got a hundred grand to do this. And they and all every single one of them was like, that's how it works. They're like, they're like, you're not, you can't be mad about that. They're like, she's going to get rich on whatever. She's like, she, and I was like, I don't, it's like, how could that be fair? Well, you know, okay. I mean, like I say, I, I don't know if you were on for this part, but I, I will, I will cop to the fact that I don't know everything about how, how Hollywood works. I'm not sure that many of the mansplainers know that much more than I do, but I'll see <laughs> that. She probably got some points on some end and there's probably some stuff, but I, I mean, I, I guess I, hearing about the experience about people like Chris Evans uh, in the Marvel movies. Have you seen any like interviews with Chris Evans about mm-hmm. being in the Marvel movies? Oh, for sure. He's a very unhappy man. Yep. Uh, they all are at this point. Which one? <laughs> who's Chris Evans? Which one's Captain Chris America. Evans? America. Captain America. Okay. But I mean, you know, short, Robert Downey uh, Jr. Uh, has gotten quite a payday from those movies. And I mean, I, you know, obviously this is incredibly complicated. The idea of being in the highest grossing film of all time. I mean, Carrie Fisher's daughter had like two lines in that movie and she must be thrilled. Like that's a really, that's a big deal. But I think it's, a, I do think I'm stating something either very obvious or very dumb here. I think it's extremely cynical to go into a movie that you know has a chance of making this kind of dough. You're putting this kind of marketing budget into it. It just, I'm going to use a fucking word I hate right now. The optics. The optics of paying the lady. I don't say optics and I don't say problematic because they're both stupid. The optics of paying the woman and the black guy one thirtieth of what you paid Harrison Ford is weird. I think it looks it looks shitty for like you think about what it costs to composite one of those shots. The like how much how costly that stuff is. I don't know. It just bugs me. I think it looks bad and I. Uh, and I, I think, again, something that I'm, that I'm kind of obsessed with from my, as you say, Alex, like learning what it, little what it feels like to be a woman is like, you know, stop looking at my finger. I'm pointing at the moon. Like, look at the moon. Stop staring at my finger. I'm talking about a different issue here. I'm not really talking about what she got paid, although I'm kind of talking about what she got paid. And what I'm really talking about now is the number of people who are ready to explain, like, why this particular slice of the patriarchy is so intact. You want to know a good Star Wars fact? Uh, yes. Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca, he agreed to do when he negotiated his contract for uh, Empire Strikes Back and uh, the other one. He got a percentage of the gross or the the profits of the movie versus like getting paid money to be in the movie. And oh. those movies never made money on paper. Really? Yeah, because the studio can the way they do the accounting. The accounting, yeah. The studio can say, "Well, we spent all the mo- we spent all this money on marketing, and the, the movies were never profitable." Yeah. I don't know. It's just as somebody, well, and it's just not to drag this out too long, but the other thing is all these people coming back and saying, well, do you know what Harrison Ford got paid for Star Wars? I'm like, do you know how Star Wars should never have been made? <laughs> right. Do you understand that the, the only reason Star Wars even got considered was that he had made a deal where he would make, I think the deal was that he would make an American graffiti and then he would get to make this, this weird movie that nobody would ever go see. It was a complete gamble. I don't think The Force Awakens could be regarded as a complete gamble. <laughs> I mean, do you know the Do you know the thing with uh, Spielberg and Lucas, where they uh, they made a deal that Spielberg would get a percentage of the revenue of Star Wars, and Lucas would get a percentage of the revenue of uh, Close Encounters. Close Encounters. Yeah. No. Why? Because it was like a hedge. Like they were friends, 
and they were making these they were both taking risks with their career and they were like well this way if one of us is successful the other one will still have enough money to make movies to continue like making movies and after star wars blew up lucas tried to get out of the deal really yeah (sighs) 